When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, this is Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me. We're going back to season 2015 2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. Well, seeing as we're friends now, I don't have any real compunction admitting that I arrived at the Jodie Morris interview with Redrim Dyes um, from Tears. We'd been driving down to Cobham when we heard that Johan Cruyff had died. It was a shock. Not only had I been interviewing him recently, but he'd said he was nearly cured. And then he was gone. Jodie I was interested in talking to because he knew what the ball was for. You could say that although he'd never met him, and we talked about him a lot, he was a disciple of everything that Johan Cruyff stood for, and he was nearly as upset as me. And that meant that we were on an even ground before we started talking football. Jody's career went wrong, and he'll talk about that and explain why. And it wasn't to do with naked yoga with Luca Viali, although that did put him off his stride for a month or two, and I guess you can understand why. He was taught by Hullet, he was taught by Hoddle. He knows what space is, he knows what vision is. He likes to talk about having rear-view mirrors attached to his head because he was a terrific player. His career went wrong because of choices, because of reputation, but he never lost his ability to play football. And what's transpired is that he's got a fantastic ability to teach football. All of us, Martin, Neil and I, when we talked to Jody at length, felt that Chelsea's youngsters and maybe youngsters to come for the England team are in the hands of somebody who will help them become a hybrid of what Spain has, technically intelligent, brave, creative, able to manage games, and what Britain has always had, hard, warrior-like, but not inept strategically. We talked to a disciple of the beautiful game. We enjoyed it hugely. I really think you will too. Listen on. It's a theme of this series, the big interview, that we love footballers who knew what football was for, what space was for, how to pass the ball, play with their head up, and therefore I'm sitting opposite one. Somebody who I saw uh, not quite making a debut, but I was working in London, and I thrilled to seeing this homegrown, Chelsea supporting, if I'm not wrong, of course, yeah. product in Jodie Morris, breaking through at a time when something really odd was happening to Chelsea because it was like well before Abramovich but it was the most cosmopolitan club in the country bar none because of a wild set of coincidences but I think there we've learned in the interview here Jody, that people listen to us and they think year one probably began with Mourinho or year one began with um, Julia at Liverpool and we all know that's not true one of the things that you've spent most of today working at Cobham, mm. the exceptional training ground where you're working with, I think, under-18s? Under-18s, yeah. Under-18s. But it wasn't, when you were an under-18 training with Chelsea, it wasn't always like this. I was quite friendly with Luca Viali, who's just agreed to come on this series in a couple of weeks. And I remember him telling me about Arlington. Mm-hmm. When you were breaking through, try and explain to people how different life was for you or for the stars at Chelsea's training ground. Well, yeah, it was... 
light years away from what the boys are used to now, first team or even the, the younger boys. But when I used to first go into Harleton, because when I was at Chelsea as a kid, as a seven, eight-year-old, it used to be first training in... The, there was a, a shed behind the back of the shed yeah. at Stamford Bridge, and we used to train there on a Monday night. And then we moved on from there. It was like a little concrete area. Eddie Nisbisky used to take me as a, like an under-eight and stuff like that. But then we moved from there to Battersea Park on the Astro... So that was kind of where you'd go once a week. But my first experiences with Harleton was always in the school holidays because that was the only time you could get there, which is obviously near Heathrow Airport. So you've got continuous planes going over very low to where the pitches are. So if a coach is mid-delivering some tactics, it, it might have to wait a little while, especially back in the day when it was the old Concords and stuff like that. Because um, the noise, literally, no, yeah, noise it was, level yeah, no, was yeah, it would be. If, if, if it, on a serious note, nothing worse than if you're a coach and you're trying yeah. to put a, a point across, or you're trying to speak to somebody or group, and one of the planes goes over it, you literally do have to wait. You have to wait until the, the plane lost five six minutes. Of course, yeah. Literally, there was no gym. There was nowhere to eat. It was small, little changing room areas. No carpet. No nothing. You had like a little cabin area where the physio used to treat some of the players and then you'd get changed and that was it and then obviously when I got older and I was in, the, in a, as a schoolboy, I'd help out in the youth team and we'd have to take all the kit from Harleton drive it back down the M4 back to Stamford Bridge clean Stamford Bridge all the dressing rooms there wash all the kit dry all the kit fold all the kit up and then go back to Stamford Bridge and because I was a local boy I was only lived down North End Road I would then have to go back to Stamford Bridge in the morning load the kit into the Kitman's van, Terry Byrne it was at the time, kind of gone on to... He's gone on to quite a good thing. Gone on to a few bigger and better things, has Terry. Um, Yeah, and then load all the kit and then travel back up the M4 in the morning before all the first team got in and laid the kit out. But yeah, you wouldn't eat there. We used to have like a little dinner ticket type thing that when we went back to Stamford Bridge, this is how much has changed. We had a dinner ticket thing that we could go to a kebab shop near Fulham Broadway Station and we could get our dinner there. Mm-hmm. Funny enough, it was... I always remember John Spencer. He was really big on what you're eating and all that. I was... Ne- I, I used to, Spenny was. Spenny was, yeah. You, did, did you substitute him for your debut? Yep, yeah, that's yeah, right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Spenny, like, as the, the amount of stories that I heard from people when I got older about him coming up younger in Scotland and all that, it was a bit of a live wire, to say the least. Beautifully and, phrased. But compared to what he was with the younger lads and stuff like that, he was very much what you're putting that in your body for and he saw us ordering one one time behind the jump I think I was probably just on a burger and chips or something something like that and he kind of went mad what he did what are you sticking that in your body for like went mad and was like you shouldn't be putting that you're an athlete you can't, can't be putting that type of fuel in your body and all this it makes you slow especially you when you're little you used to always say you're little you need to stay quick and sharp it was which, big on which it. from him was from the heart because he, yeah. he would be Similar, size yeah, to a little bit bigger than me and a lot quicker than me. I have to say, but but, he, but equally, he, but yeah, he had also he had to, to struggle. With, he struggled with that. Yeah, he needed to be sharp and nowhere. Obviously, the brain is the first thing that he, he yeah. was very quick at. But at the same time, he, he knew that well, if you aren't the biggest, then you need to be at the tip top. Yeah, because you know, we'll, we'll come on to this. You're echoing things that since I moved to Spain, I've been taught over and over again in interviews or private chats or going to training sessions or whatever by Xavi, by Iniesta, by Guardiola who, who considered himself small and spindly and was told by a lot of people that he, w- he said himself that he, he wouldn't have made it in any other team than Cruyff's Barcelona but you know, compared to you he was significantly taller mm-hmm. maybe not stronger but significantly taller so you, when you talk about if you're in the heat of battle in midfield and your brain is working that, that's important but you also just need what John was saying to you that half metre your brain gives you half a metre, maybe the other half metre, you need just to be able to move away from a tackle yeah. or, or somebody trying to knock you over. Most definitely. And for me, it was I didn't realise it at the time because when you're young, you, you automatically think you can eat what you want and do what you want. But when I first made my debut, it was, it was six weeks after my 17th birthday. And if I look at what my body was then as a... Not to now, obviously, <laughs> slightly changed a bit, three years retired, but compared to what kids are now like at 17 my, my body was way off anything near that you would class as ready for first team adult football but similar to what you're saying there about Pep is if it wasn't Glenn Hoddle as the manager that gave me my debut there's not a hope in hell that I would have been put in to first team football at that age simply because of my frame they would have said nowhere near ready for 
first team football, the hustle and bustle type thing. But where the hod was very much, if you can technically play and you know where you are in the pitch, it doesn't matter if you're moving the ball quickly enough before someone's getting close to you and you're not a liability as far as when you haven't got the ball. I mean, you don't have to be the biggest. I'll say it to the boys now. As long as you put people under pressure and hustle and harass, you don't have to be a Patrick Vieira type galloping, trampling over type people in midfield. But when we've got the ball, if we keep it and we use it the right way, it literally doesn't matter what size you are. And like you said, Chavi and people like that have proved this. I always think of a Leon Britton Mm -hmm. as the perfect example for me is that he played all the leagues through with Swansea, great little footballer, I remember him young thinking that West Ham going, yeah, he can play and good footballer. Goes to Sheffield United and can't get in a team. Goes back to Swansea and then obviously they're, because they play a certain way and they use him in the right way, doesn't matter what size you are in midfield. People look used back in the day, used to go, oh, centre midfield, stick him out wide or like he must be playing the 10 or to come out of the midfield battle. But as I said, I was lucky enough that I was coming through at a, at a club where they played a certain way. Glenn Hoddle changed the way we played at Chelsea playing three at the back a pivot in midfield holding midfield where all the play would go through me as a young kid like Graham Ricks used to play in the youth team but we played the same way and it, it just kind of helped me stature wise that I was being taught to play the game the right way You talk about that brilliantly I mean, which you need to do as a coach but as if it's innate to you second nature but presumably you've also been well taught over the years now you were making remember a phrase that Graham Ricks always used to I think you as you were coming through the real youth ranks it's like keep the ball circulate the ball the ball's your best friend but remember why you're moving the ball mm. there was always supposed to be did you automatically know when you had the ball at your feet at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 what the ball was at your feet for or did it help to have it reminded to you that it was meant to be kept and controlled and then used to somewhere intelligent yeah no I'd say at the younger ages I would just go buy people with skill all the time it was because it was easy to do it was you just run through as many players as you want, pass it when you need to type thing. It wasn't until I got a little bit older. I went to Lillyshaw in the national school and Keith Blunt was a fantastic coach and taught us many different aspects of the game as far as tactically and things like that. But as a midfielder, he was really good for me as far as not just using the ball. It wasn't necessarily how we done it at Chelsea, but it was certainly about getting the ball forward, not necessarily when you have loads of time. So, for instance, if you was getting the ball played in from, say, a fullback, and you're facing the fullback, but can you play into a front man in one touch, playing round corners and then go again to get it? That helped me playing forward that side of the game, not necessarily at the right times at time. I think there was times where you didn't need to play forward and you needed to keep it. But as I said, there was those aspects of being able to play forward whenever you're under pressure or protect the ball whenever you're under pressure that when I got to Chelsea and we were talking about circulating it and moving the team around to create space, that started coming more under the the huddle sort of era when he was manager. You've opened the Pandora's box here. Mm. Um, One of the things that we've begun to try to do in this series is maybe explain some jargon. Two weeks ago, Duffer used transitions. Mm. Now, I thought I knew, but I think that's used so glibly now by football coaches and analysts on television that it was important to explain that, and he did really well. But I've heard that round the corner a lot, and every footballer knows what it means. Mm. Is there any way for those maybe who like to watch football but don't play it that you can, when you talk about putting it around the corner, can you break that down, what that means, actually? Well, for me, it doesn't matter where you're doing it, but it literally means that when the ball's travelling to you, first and foremost, you know where you want the ball to go to, but not necessarily there's always a free passage to wherever you want to play the ball. So before you either receive the ball, whether it's coming from a teammate over a distance of 5, 10, 15, 20 yards, I think you need to check one scan, check your shoulders, see first and foremost where you want to play it. Is your teammate in the right position where you want to play it? But then two, you need to be thinking of who can intercept that ball. So the one round the corner for me was always you'd look before the ball was coming. So... If, say, a defensive midfielder or whoever was trying to stop you playing the ball, they'd be watching the ball Mm -hmm. rather than you. You've already checked your shoulders. (laughs) And then as the ball's travelling, as they start moving towards you, they don't know that you've already checked and seen where it's going. So it looks like you're facing back to where the play is or wherever you want to be facing. And whether you go towards the ball to create the angle that allows you to play to where you play or whether you move away from the ball, whether you control it and do it, whether you do it in one touch, whether you spin it round the opposing midfielder I mean for me it's just getting it to 
somebody where it doesn't necessarily look like you're facing to play. It's not an obvious pass, but it is one that can take out the opposition, whoever's trying to oppose you, or it can get it into an area where it's not necessarily for you. The old round the corners back in the day used to be great if you could go round the corner and get it back. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not just for you, it's for the next person if you're breaking lines, if you like, you know, like the opposition defensive midfield could be getting into a, somebody in a better space or better position for you to then hurt the opposition. But it was certainly something that, for me, the best person I've ever seen do it was Glenn Hoddle when he used to do it every day in training. And you just never knew where a ball would be going. If you tried to stay off him, he'd then take a touch and then take it towards you and change the picture straight away by moving towards you. And then there's different options for him to use. If you tried to put him under pressure, as I said, he'd flick it with the outside of his left boot. If you, if you tried to close that one down, he'd let it run by him and then do it again the other side. It was... For me, he was the most impossible person to try and defend. You see, he's got something that um, I try not to get hidebound by always talking about fantastically talented and intelligent smaller players. There's things I've learned during my career. I remember we were lucky enough, a group of us used to play five-a-side football sometimes with a guy called Arnau, who was Messi's captain in the B team. And he wasn't a bad lad, Arnau, but... He liked to play fives and he liked to, so he would nick away and have a little mm. game of fives. A good time ago now in Barcelona. And he would talk about when he was in the first team training, bumping up against Ronaldinho. So he felt about Ronaldinho what you felt about Hodler, but he said, if you try to take the ball off Ronaldinho, it doesn't matter what part of his body, whether it's his thigh, his shoulder, his mm. arse, whatever, you know, you bounce further than the average Scottish first division player controls the ball, you know, yeah. it just went off him. Yeah. And, and Glenn was, was big, he, you know, was a big footballer who could shield the ball. Rude had that. I think people forget how big a unit Zidane was. Yeah. You know, these are Hullet, Hoddle, Zidane. These are three genius footballers in terms of technique and vision and mm. bravery and what they want to do with the ball. But also, it's the opposite of what you and Charlie and Iniesta yeah. and Messi have had to contend with. They could also move you around or bounce you off, yeah. right or wrong. No, most definitely. And and for me, it would determine how you'd play in midfield because. As I said, at the younger age groups, I could do things where I could go by people. The older I was getting, everyone was getting quicker. Everyone was getting bigger, even bigger. So it was like I was always probably the smallest and the slowest in any team I played in, mm-hmm. probably from under 11, under 12 to I finished. But at the same time, I think when we got up through the ages, I learned how to deal with that better than some players that maybe never made it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I would maybe, like you said, I would use an area where I would play and probably do things before I received the ball a lot better than people that would maybe rely on controlling it and then running past people. And, and it was probably why I, when I went up and played, say, for instance, say for Millwall, who we didn't play much football, my effect on games certainly dwindled because it was more expected that I'd be second balls, hooking the ball on, trying to run up and down up the pitch. And you can only be as good as the options you have around you in midfield for the type of player that I was. And, and like he said, Pep could only play like that for a Barcelona team. I, I think it's the same as like Xavi. You put Xavi in a championship team or yeah. a team in a premiership and if, if nobody's wanting balls or not expecting to receive the ball and making angles to receive the ball, you'd never see the full potential of what a Xavi could do. You need he, he, runs. He went further. He, he, I think you're right. And if he were here, he'd agree with you. And he said if he was playing in your average Real Madrid team, he said, I would never have been picked. I would never have reached where I went to. They play a different style of football. They don't want what I've got. And he understood that if you if you take you know milk and you mix it with vodka, it's not mm. going to work. It's you know things are meant for a certain purpose, mm. and he knew where is it. And that's one of the things that has been really interesting about these footballers that I met over there is that they don't just understand how to do it; they understand that they're part of a system that is benefiting their particular talents. Mm. And that if they went elsewhere, it would it wouldn't. Happen. I wasn't comparing myself to them too, by the way. There. I did. I did. I, I'm going to I did realise that I mentioned mentioned myself there in the same bracket as Pep and Jamie. Well, it's we, not we, quite we, like that. Well, we're going to come on to moments in your career. <laughs> I think that's fair. So you mentioned Glenn, and, and I found him when he was England manager a difficult man mm. um, to get straight talk out of. But what I'm also grown up enough to realise is that every quality footballer that I've ever talked to says that he was an exceptional coach that England as a country as a national team lost maybe somebody who could transition the resources available in a better tournament play better possession play but going back to your experience short experience of him as a coach what did he do in coaching apart from showing the skills that made you enraptured by him or what was it that made him a good coach because 
he catalyzed Chelsea in general as, a, as mm. a, in his presence there. What would stand out now, respectively, for you? First and foremost, it's maybe not one that you would attach to him from the outside, but I, I had a real fear factor of Glenn mm. Hoddle. I have to say, um, as a manager, as far as telling people when they were out of line or even if it's walking down the corridors and seeing youth team players walking by a bit of kit and not picking it up or mm. leaving things untidy and stuff like that. If he ever caught you taking a rest, sitting down reading when you should be helping your teammates with their jobs, um, he would certainly let you know. Um, so first and foremost, the, the fear factor from him was certainly one that I felt and I'd seen him speak to the first team players in a certain way where they made no mistake that they knew what he was expected from them. And then you get the the visuals that you get when he's taking part and he's the best player in training every day. You can't help but just look in awe. And as I say, he's certainly one of the best I've ever seen in the flesh. But as far as coaching, I think it was his, his attention to detail. He was certainly one that the way he played, you'd automatically think, yeah, he wants to keep the ball. He li- likes to focus on the technical side of it and lets people make mistakes and stuff like that. But he wasn't just... I don't think he was all guns blazing. Oh, yeah, let's play and let's not sacrifice the way of playing the stuff. There were certainly games where he wanted to play 3-5-2 and that was the way that he wanted to play. I thought that was maybe the way that he stuck to most. I want to play 3-5-2, even though he changed it towards the end. There were certain games. But it wasn't just 3-5-2 to keep the ball. It was also 3-5-2 because it was the best way to pass through. And if we had to go over, we could go over teams. If we had to switch play... He loved the Diag. Like, I mean, he hit it great, but there was he certainly put players in at the back. Rudy put Rudy at the back a few times. Cer- certainly, someone in the pivot or at the centre of the three that could hit that pass. So when you're bringing teams on and think that they can put you under pressure because you want to play out, he had no qualms whatsoever that if he'd done something or the way the team was playing was bringing teams on and going up against a high line, he had no problem about going over it. And When you say going over, again, I think we all, fans, journalists, we use expressions lazily, so that long ball comes in and it's become derogatory or whatever. But at Barcelona, when Luis Enrique changed things significantly last season, there was a lot of resistance to, I think, exactly what you're talking about, which is if you've got super forwards and you're being pressed and you don't want to play through the middle because you've got a chance of letting the ball loose to players who run onto it, it's not long balls we knew under no. Charles Hughes. Hughes yeah, it's Paul's for us. Yeah. It, again, exactly. it's, it's uh, keeping the ball and circulating had a purpose. Mm. So did that type of long ball you're talking or long yeah, ball? Yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I know, for instance, we had Tony Cascarino up, up front way before my time, but it, I know that it was when a time where you wouldn't necessarily go, right, I'm going to play the ball over the top to Tony Cascarino. You no. just wouldn't do it. It, no. it does have to suit a purpose of what yeah. you're doing. As you said, it, the, the fact that you're bringing teams on it's not necessarily that you're setting out to go, oh, yeah, I want them to have a high line. But, one, you need to offer a threat if they are going to have a high line. So, yes, you can hurt them. But, two, it will then get them off you again. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It may then allow you to do your other things because if they get punished You've a couple of times... You've taught them once, of course, so they retract and then you and can it, play again. It's the same now. I mean, as I said, even that with our group, that uh, throughout our academy, we want to pass the ball as much as anybody. But don't get me wrong. If a team wants to defend on the halfway line and we've got three players that are lightning quick and a right side centre half or whoever at the back has got time on the ball to pick out whatever pass you want then do it why wouldn't you score straight away from by the way and we're not saying booting it because that is one of the things that you have to teach as well is that there's one thing having 360 awareness when you want to play in midfield or wherever you want to play in the park but there's 360 awareness and there's plenty of players that have got that great in little possessions and everything short 10-15 Meters or t- but the real top top players have got that 360 awareness, but it broadens out. You're talking 50, 60 yards, and they're the top players because even if you are one that's great at the go around corners and as I said, keep seeing things, people think you've got wing mirrors and stuff like that. <laughs> but it's like there's no point if the opposition or opposition managers or coaches see that if you don't ever hit the long one then you're then killing yourself as well because yeah. it's, you do need to be able to... It's sterile, Of course. It? If you're playing that type of football, short, 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 and never going long, it, no matter how good you are, a good organised team will be able to nullify you. This is what... I mean, we're all fans. That's why we asked you. But Martin particularly, his point was always that there are certain players who 
have become venerated in British football at St Johnston, he was mentioning the fact that you were always looking to make that pass through a gap or into a space or take a risk, but as well as being able to have the vision you've talked about and be able to keep it short when it's important or see 60 yards, there's a degree of risk because any pass like that that can open things up, if it goes wrong, you know that a stupid teammate might be on your back or an idiot manager might jump on you, the press might do so. But also, one of the interviews we had was with Chrissy Waddle who said like, when he was in his pomp, he could hear the slapping of the seats as everybody stood up in mm. anticipation. Mm. He also said that he could hear the groan mm. when he wasn't quite at his peak. The adrenaline of hearing people standing up in the seats going like that and the groan, they were equal proportion in the plus and the negative. And to take a risky ball, I think that's something else as well as the vision and the technique. You have to accept risk. Of course. And the thing is as well, it, it all depends on, one, your manager or your coach that is asking you to play a certain way and whatever your game plan is because ultimately you do have to follow the game plan of the manager or you might find yourself out of the team I, I, but as going to the, the Waddle I remember at Millwall where we'd be one side of the pitch and we'd be maybe sort of on the edge of the attacking third and we'd get play and, and I'd open out and have a bit of time and switch play and I remember doing these parties as a young kid at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and you switch play and Stamford Bridge would stand up and give you a, a ripple and go because they were used to watching football if I had done that pass and I would hold up and go for me that is a great pass you've got the ball out of a congested area yeah. there's traffic in there you're getting it out you have full back or your wide man's now in acres to attack but at Millwall if I had done that pass it was like you said the groans because it was like if I had time on the ball why am I not putting it in the box mm. why am I not hitting the striker that will be standing on the opposite centre half waiting like big Danny Ditcho waiting at the back post waiting for a ball to be just in there and we'll all crowd the box you would um, found Barry Hills bombing down the yeah, ball instead of hitting yeah, I, I, as I said it was like literally to switch play there's all the players let's get someone out let's get higher up the pitch on the other side with a bit of space and cross it and as I said, it was even, and you're talking about risk at St Johnston. I would play the holding role, and you also need to know. And this is no slight on any of my teammates, but we played on pitches up there that were didn't lend itself to passing the ball. So, as much as I would say I am all out for playing football and playing out from the back, I also knew that the risk that I would maybe usually take on a decent pitch, receiving it from the back, and then maybe playing through a part I knew that there could be at least three or four bubbles before I received this ball yeah, so yeah. one I might have to control it first which then shortens the amount of time that you're going to be having on the ball and two a lot of the times because we didn't really play out as much from the back like that there wouldn't be the option on that you'd hopefully be looking for anyway and then the fact that you if you're then looking for it and it's not there you've then put yourself in a bit of bother yeah. as I said then you've got to get yourself out of the stu- stucky mud like, well literally and the it's, the reason that, it's the reason that I raised it because we, this chat isn't going to be about state Scottish football but when you stood out as much as the lads then it talked about skill and adaptability and intelligence because you have to adapt I still feel that whatever talents you were born with, to be blessed with, once you get your contract from Colin Hutchinson sitting in Harlington signing the paper, to be blessed with Glenn Hoddle number one, and then when he buggers off to England, it's Hullet next, is a hell of an education, not just in terms of stature and technique and ability and his achievements. He's quite a character to be around. And I've heard you, I'm not going to cheat, I've heard you talking before about the fact that Rude was very opposed to losing the ball in training. And that's a good choice. T- tell us a little bit about the experience of being around this extraordinary man, extraordinary footballer. Um, well, yeah, Rude for me was first and foremost an absolute specimen of a guy. He was huge, but he was one of those that I grew up watching the AC Milan yeah. and many of the young England teams that I used to play for under sixteen, under seventeens. We'd have AC Milan videos done out, just in peace, like yeah. showing us how to press like in midfield, and when you've got your yeah, Ancelotti's and getting over the, and how to stop teams but you didn't really appreciate you're talking about Carlo Ancelotti the, the central midfielder yeah yeah, yeah 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 not Carlo the coach no but yeah. like, and obviously Rudy and, and you saw him there and the power that he used to show and, and, and I have to say when I because I was so young I didn't really see the technical side of him as much I remember the 88 we all remember him as, but it was more like this absolute specimen of a guy but if we played what do they call it is it Rondos or whatever the, yeah. you know, the little, yeah, yeah. Box, little boxes and that if we'd done that at Chelsea, Rude literally would never, ever, ever give it away. Like, ever. And when I'm talking about the... We're talking about small stature players, myself or whoever, when you get yourself in an area where there isn't an option on the ball to pass or there isn't a, a way out, Rude would just manhandle... He would literally <laughs> manhandle somebody. And I watched him do it at Stamford Bridge, like, continuously, even... 
I'm just watching man handle someone for maybe 10 seconds on the ball and just keep looking and waiting for an option to come about, which you're spoilt then because he's not only got the technical <laughs> side of it that he can do whatever he wanted as far as put the ball 60 yards, 10 yards, wherever he wanted. He'd also, if nothing was on, he was powerful enough to protect the ball like for long periods, long periods on the ball of, nope, nothing's on yet. But he would never, ever just get rid under and he was like that in training as I said I, I didn't really experience the great coaching side or anything like that for me I, I didn't see that but as far as a, a footballer and an example of how never to give the ball away he was certainly one When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss you see I, I certainly never want to come over as no all but Having met him and listened to him and, and watched him too, I didn't necessarily expect that you'd had a, a genius coach, particularly having come through Lillishall, where I, I expect that you were taught in a methodical, um, repetitive, excellent way, probably alongside Jamie Carragher in midfield. He, no, he was wrong. the year above me. He was my, was he? He was my senior. Yeah, so I had him above me. Michael Owen was the year below me. Good group. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Carragher. But when I was at Lillishall, Carragher was a centre-forward. He dropped down into midfield. I knew he was a midfielder and he always no, said he could pass and he went, play. He went, centre, he went centre forward and then when he left there, he started playing in midfield, made his debut in midfield for Liverpool. I played in midfield with him for England under-21s. In the World Cup? Oh, no. In the, in the under-20s World Cup, not the real World Cup. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because you had a good squad in that. Yeah, yeah. Was, and you won your group, that, eh? Yeah, yeah. No, we got knocked out to Argentina in the quarters. Yeah, let's name some of the names. Raquel Me. yeah. Omar, Cambiasso. yeah. yeah. Good team. Yeah, well, what, whatever happened to all of them? I know, I know. They won that World Cup, actually. Yeah. You were beaten right. by the, the winners on an yeah, outstanding yeah. set of footballers. Yeah, no, we was good. We was decent. But Cara was, for me, Cara is a footballer. Like, do you know what I mean? He, uh, he, I'm glad you said that, because he gets very chippy when people no, don't no, recognise no, that. No, he is. And I was always one to stand up for him. People look at him and go, he's a hustle, bustle defender. He put his tackle in. Yeah, he put a tackle in, but he could play, by the way. Music, yeah. Under-21s, at the time, I think he was the most capped, but he used to play holding midfield for Peter Taylor, and he just wouldn't give the ball away. I even say it to the young boy. People look at it and go, oh, yeah, but he goes safe. He goes simple. He, he keeps the ball and blah, blah, blah. But for me, those players are needed at times because it's, I'll say it to our younger lads, is that you can have all the genius you want and amazing technical ability, but... You've got to be some genius to control a game, not just like be able to do things. Controlling a game when you're in an area of the pitch that you, the engine room or you, where you're pulling all the strings. If you can control a game and you're making that pass the safer, the simple pass for a reason, those players get overlooked. For me, like yes, we see the, the always the nice ones through gaps, the 
jalapenos into your feet and mm. fizzing it in. But the ones that control it, and it's less risk, but it should be less risk. It, it, risk via, via what you're describing, you maybe change the tempo of a game for five, ten minutes if you need to, because you're under pressure or... Yeah. You know somebody needs a breather or you're one up. and one, We always use phrases as journalists like, you know, the most vulnerable time after you just got to go, well, yeah, yeah. what might you do for the next six, seven minutes? Well, maybe yeah. choose 20 really smart, safe passes yeah. and make sure that that little danger zone is gone again. I, I appreciate what you're saying. Mm. And I imagine Cara exactly like that. And if you add in his very combat of qualities, but recognise the fact he could play. And before I get back to Rude, I just... I've always wondered whether they did the right thing losing Lillisol, which I think has probably never been replaced. My personal opinion is that Howard Wilkinson did the English game an enormous disservice by saying it must all be club-based. And I didn't know at the time that the Spanish system allows what clubs in the Premier League would never do now, in that the Spanish FA goes and scouts through unpaid older guys who know their football but are just doing it on a voluntary basis yeah. they go and scout all over Spain and the best 14 year olds are identified wherever they may be small club big club playing regional football and then when they're 15 the clubs are obliged to let the federation have them for a couple of days every month for three months when they're taught the Spanish national systems whether it's yeah. 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 how to adapt behaviour they travel a little bit mm. with the nationals, just things like that. And it strikes me that maybe I'm wrong because you lived at Lillisol, but one to be selected as one of the 15, 16 most excellent in your age. 16, yeah. Says something already. But I guess you were taught standards, you were taught tactical transitions, you were taught things. There's some kids at academies throughout the years until now might not have been taught. I, I just think that Lillisol, I, I never really understood why it went away apart from cost. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can understand if... You don't agree with me? No, no, I do. I'm a massive... Lillyshaw was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. It was uh, unbelievable. I got me out of the estate that I grew up in at a time when things were could go either way. I'd seen friends do certain things and mates in football that were really good and all of a sudden not taking part in football anymore. But it was great for me, as I said, on a, on a personal note, but also on a learning the game. Keith Blunt was outstanding for me, the coach... He taught me the, the the defensive side of the game, the individual side where, as I said, me being not the biggest, like, he would always try and get out of me of wanting to go and have rows with the opposition as far as going into tackles, to, to stupid tackles. Was that a natural tendency? The, yeah, because I'd always been the littlest and so I, I always felt probably a small mass syndrome where you just feel like you've got to go and... When you're going in for tackles, with everyone's normally bigger than me. When you're going in for tackles, you then go in that extra bit harder. You don't ever want to be the one to come away going, oh, yeah, I'm the... You feel like that because you, maybe you've always been like that, but I see a lot of players here of that who naturally would rather play their way out of trouble would never, ever do what you do. There's a certain yeah. gene inside you which says, well, I don't know, which helps. I yeah, no, no, I have to have Most it. definitely, and, and like I said, it was one of the things, and it's something that, by the way, I, I wouldn't have been able to get on in my career if I never wanted to mix it because as I said it's not like we were playing Barcelona football and you could keep the ball for 80% of a game there's a lot of it that you have to do it's the dirty work you need to want to run off the ball you need to want to sort of go beyond people you need to track runners you want to be able to protect your defenders like and when there's tackles to be made or challenges to be made if somebody gave you one you give it back to those were the days when that was obligatory yeah I mean I came through at a time when I was playing with Dennis Wise and stuff so there's no one better to teach you tricks of the trade of when you might not be quite physically matched up to people but you would match up with them in other as I said whether it's because you're clever or whether it's because you feel that you have to do it to get one up I think you would do it but as I said the little short side of it thing for me is I, now that I'm working at Chelsea I, I can't look back at it and go oh we should all have a Lillyshaw because I, I believe in what we're doing at Chelsea and a lot of the stuff, I have to say, a lot of the things that our philosophy and the excellence that we're expecting from the boys and sort of like we like to call them winning behaviours and stuff is it's what Lillyshaw was when I was there anyway under Keith Blunt. Do you know what I mean? There's so many good things that came out of it but ultimately now it's just I think the way things have changed. I get the one where the Spanish boy, if they're going away and they're being taught a, a way of playing and if... I believe that England had that mm-hmm. and it was going to be here yeah, forever, I then I would understand yeah, that one. Yeah. But at the minute, yeah. as far as our identity goes, I mean, who would be able to explain our identity Thank now? You. 
you can in Spain, it's clear to see. But whether we'd be able to do it in throughout all ages, I think that they're trying at England. I, th- I think they're definitely trying to do it. But whether it's ingrained in the, the DNA, the it's, DNA, it's I, I, I don't know. Unless you have a GPS, then there's no point in saying I want to get to, you know, Babylon. You need a GPS, and mm. there's no philosophy, and that's it's fundamentally going to flaw a nation that for many years hasn't been able to retain the ball or pass accurately. Mm. I think is a central problem. So when when Rude disappeared off into a cloud of nettles and taxes and was sacked out of the blue. I mean, I was here then, and it was just, it felt like the most extraordinary club in the world at the time. Mm. And am I right in thinking the next manager had been your roommate? Yeah, we'd roomed quite a, quite a lot. Uh, it's Willi- the look of Viali. Yeah, yeah. Gwyn Williams at the time was kind of, he was good like that, where he'd prefer Viali to be rooming with the younger boys, like, as this amazing ledge that he is. He's I think, a pretty extraordinary guy. Yeah, well, this is it. It, it, this is, it does make me laugh, though, because it, it was almost like, yeah, I want... Luca to room with Jody because I was young and like I said I'm a London boy and a little bit went out too much when I was younger and things like that and I think he they was thinking yeah stick him in with Luca and because he knew I looked up to him I loved, as far as football goes and he was an absolute legend and, and the best geezer he's a he's top extraordinary fella, guy isn't top he? top fella but all that said he then I go with Luca and I'm like okay he's then ordering club sandwiches at like twelve at night. He's doing this stretching, like, don't get me wrong, so he's stretching, but he's naked, stretching in the middle of the room. I'm, like, obviously a, an 18-year-old kid rooming with this guy for the first time. He's smoking in the corner room, stretching and getting club sandwiches at 12 o'clock at night. I'm thinking, I know he's a legend and all that, but you're putting him with me as if to go, yeah, this is how you live your life. I'm thinking, if I was smoking, ordering club sandwiches in the middle of the night at 12 o'clock, I'm not sure Gwyn would be too, too impressed. But as a guy, you could speak to him. He wouldn't mind. I, I reckon I drove him mad. I would always ask him about Juve and Sampdoria and, and being in, in the Italian national team. I asked him question after question, and he couldn't have enough time for you. But it's first experience. I want, I want to use it as a conduit. First experience I ever had was that an editor sent me over. Juventus said thumped Rangers, and the editor said, "Why is it we're used to continental teams that playing Scottish teams? Why is it that Juventus trampled all over uh, Rangers? That's not necessarily what we used to." Okay, fine. So I went over, and um, I was given three days access to the club and training by a friend of of Lippi's, and Lippi was in charge, and Ventroni was the fitness coach. And the first day I was there, I had no Italian at all, so I was begging the club, like, "Who can you turn up that?" They were like, okay, well, after training, you can speak. Viali will probably speak to you, speaks English, whatever. So, turned up the training, which is approximately, they're there out in the field at 10, they start at 10 30, they're finished by 12. I'm like, great, here we go. No, 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 no. It's lunch, then a siesta, then it's training again. Now, I'd never seen double training, and obviously it's pretty common and understood now. But they went and did another brutal session, absolutely brutal that night, really. You know, there's a lot of technique, and the ball was there, but the physical effort and the doggies, and, and at the end of it, Viali turned up in a spare dressing room, and I thought I'd turned up quite plump, because in those days I cared. It's like mm. a pinstripe three-piece suit. Fucking mine had cost about 70 bucks. Viali turns up in a pinstripe three-piece suit that cost about 7,000 bucks, and looks mm. a million dollars, and walks in, sits down and said, right, let's talk. And off we go. He goes into the training methods and recovery times and, you know, it was a total eye-opener to me. But I found out subsequently, because Walter Smith told me that he was deeply unimpressed with my comparison between UV's work record and Rangers' work ethic. Luke had always been a bit of a lad and kind of reputation for knowing how to live well. But I think the key thing that gets around to what you were talking about is that he did, in training, he did work like a dog. Amazing work rate. Amazing... And to be fair, like you said, it was... I mean, if we're talking about Rude and Luca, they're, they're chalk and cheese as far as working hard in, in training. Like Rude, I'm sure, in his younger years. But at Chelsea, even in the first-team games, I used to watch and, yeah, he'd walk back from a, an attack and stuff like that. And even in training... But Luca, no, he was full-on, 100 mile an hour, like, properly trained, grass, sweat dripping off him every single day. Whatever he'd done, he'd done it to the best of his ability. And like you said, when you're seeing people like that, putting in a type of work rate it was I would say at the time it was not refreshing but because you don't want to say that but, but rude you used to think oh blimey he's, he's having a stroll up here sometimes in training because he could but whereas Luca you would he was very at it and, could you say he's a British Italian yeah I was going to sort of touch on that sort of side of it his work rate reminded me of like a tough like striker that 
maybe wasn't the most talented. I but think, his thing was, I used to, we used to do a load of sprints because he brought over Antonio Pintus, the U of A fitness coach, who was great for all of us. A great guy, but also for the team, I felt he was really fit. And we used to do a load of like work and sprints and stuff. And Luca was not the quickest by the time he came to no. to Chelsea at all. And he always used to say, he said, "Look, why do you think one of the reasons I need to be able to work as hard as I can is because in the first minute to ten minutes or whatever, their centre half might be able to stay with me because I'm sprinting. And but if he wants to stay with me for ninety minutes, I fancy my chances. My chances. If he if he stays with me for my work rate, I fancy that." my sprints later on and true to his word we'd do something like 20 15 meter sprints or something and you see Luca coming last at the first two or three and then you got jog back and then do it again just continuous work by the 17 18 19 20 Luca's finishing first out of everyone his high intensity work was even though he was at the end of his career and retiring he, he was a specimen like for a passer like you didn't his movement Give best. you just the best. As I said before, if you're a midfielder and you like to pass or you can see a pass, as far as Luca Viali as a striker, I was spoilt or we were spoilt, I'll say, at Chelsea because we had probably the best striker in the world with his back to play, Mark Hughes. Who, he would turn so many bad balls into good ones. He had glue in his boots. Yeah, the unbelievable. Like... And he would protect it. So, as I said, so he was great for, as I said, playing into the front man or around the corners and stuff. But Luca, as far as whenever you had a bit of time, he would create the gaps between him and a defender from all sorts of movements. But did you, you know, did you instinctively know, or did you watch him learn in training about like he'll go there, but he doesn't want it there. He's going to wheel and go that way. Did you have to learn to get in rhythm? Or yeah, did he well, teach well, you, or was that something you just like, you innately well, had? Well, it's kind of one of them things that if you if you scan properly as a as a midfielder and you want to look forward and see a pass, as I said, if you're looking before you're receiving the ball, you'd see him on the move. And when he first came, you'd maybe see him on the move and go, OK, he's going in there. And then you go to play it and he's changed his direction. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you then do have to adjust and go, hold on a minute, this guy's something else here, by the way. He's, he's making movements, sometimes one pass or two passes before you even receive the ball. That then told you, you've got to keep checking where he's going because he's making a run for the defender, not for, for himself. Like he always used to say, it, one for the defender, one for yourself. And like you said, he'd be running one way so if you didn't check again you wouldn't notice that he's checked and that the defender's still going he's created a gap which has gone from two or three yards to now eight yards which makes you look brilliant as a midfielder because it's an easier pass to make like it gives you your scope for a mistake or error is is a lot bigger so as I said you had Sparky holding up when you've chipped it in the air and it's a crap pass or it's not or it's bobbling in and he's just controlling it and you had Luca Viali making outrageous runs that as I said as a midfielder when you had time on the ball was perfect. A night that I, I really remember as a reporter, and you know, I'm an Aberdeen fan, not a blue, but um, you know, my first ever football record was blue is the colour when it was released, which dates me a little bit. <laughs> was Vicenza, I think it was Lucas' first home game as manager, was Vicenza? It was the semi final at least. Yeah, it the, and you're one was the down, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vicenza was the semis, but it wasn't his first one as a manager. No, his first one was, I think it was Arsenal. Was it? Yeah, in the old, uh, whatever it is now, Coco. It would have been a League Cup or yeah, yeah, League yeah. Cup as it was. Yeah. Oh, but it wasn't go, soon after that. Did you go Arsenal and... 3 0. And win good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wenger put a, a, a very reserved team. And you yeah, went. but we, we had a, a proper reserve team. Like, we, I Luke, think Luca, I was at Luca used to use those games for all the young boys, isn't it? Like, he used to play lads that are not in the team, but the, the core of those games, I always remember, were like young people getting their debuts and that. That's why I loved him for that as well, because not only was he. A top top manager, tactically brilliant. I thought and, detailed, and, eh? Ah, oh, massively, and especially on on stopping at the opposition. You know, like he was brilliant at that. I felt and I loved. Give it. me an example of what he might say. One of the things would just be he expected everybody to be able to work for ninety minutes and stop, but he would draw up whatever opposition we're playing and relate to some of the the good players. Say it was Man United or something. He'd be talking about they like to do this. He's the top player, but. And he would go through it on a tactics board for ages and just go, if he goes there, then this is where I want you. And then we would see it all on a tactical board and you'd go, yeah, I can see that. Then he'd go out into the training and we'd go through little passages of play where ultimately on when it came to the games, more often than not, it was you felt confident that teams were going to struggle against you off the ball. Off, a, off the ball, tactically, I thought he was outstanding. But Chenzo then at least puts that into practice because... If Rude was sexy football, Luca Viali's Chelsea was the Chelsea of, come on, Chaps. Yeah. Chaps was his big thing. And he sent you all out with a little glass of 
Champagne or Spumante or something like that against Vicenza and out you went and 1-0 down and that must have been an exceptional feeling for a Chelsea fan to be 1-0 down against an Italian team with a relatively new young player manager and you absolutely go 2-0 down and tear them apart. Yeah, we had to win 3-1 to go through and I got subbed, I think it was in the 74th or something, for Sparky who came on. So I felt I was doing really well and was gutted that I was getting dragged. Wasn't your shot for the opening Poyet goal? Because the it comes back off him. I don't think it was my shot, but it does. I know the goal. It comes back off the keeper, doesn't it? And he slides. But uh, no, it weren't my shot. I, I think it might have been Petrescu's. I think I can't remember. I would have claimed that. Didn't yeah, you? maybe. But as I said, my my memory is I was devo. Been. I thought I was playing well, and and then I came off, and then about a minute later, he Sparky flicked on a header to himself who then volleyed it in. and I was like oh, fair enough good decision that taking me off and it's brutal that for whatever reason it, Zola was gutted not to start against a Stuttgart side yeah. subsequent Copenhagen, World yeah. Cup winning manager in yeah. charge and Jogi Lowe yeah. he comes on and scores but I mean how did you feel about that experience of, you know 19-ish I'm a Cup Winners yeah. Cup winner but not really on the night you don't get no I didn't I know I was sub so I didn't get on on the sub as I said I'd played in previous rounds and done a bit but there was a couple of injuries and Zola being one of them but I think that's why he was left on the bench what does it feel like I mean are you overwhelmingly happy for the club or are you really pissed off that you're already in a Cup Cup final and you win but you don't get your yeah I mean it's, it's a funny one you do have mixed feelings but by the time it's not mixed feelings at the end I'd be lying but at the beginning, you're gutted because if you're left out of a team, especially if you've played in previous rounds. But once the game starts, you're just in it. You're switched on in case you have to come on. And then once you do win, and it's a little bit different for me when I'm a homegrown, I'm a Chelsea fan through and through to win something. And don't get me wrong, I suppose they don't... The actual medals that you win, if, you, if you're not playing in the actual final, you could... People remember that who was playing in the final stuff. But it's certainly medals that are nowadays if if it was in today's football I'd have a few more because I'd played in previous rounds and then never made it onto the bench for a final as like an 18 year old or things like that but at the same time you still got to be proud about being involved in cup winning teams and not always the final winning teams are they? sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.